Yeah. Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I learned really early you need to be making sure you say happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Father's Day. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Mother's Day, though, yes. Mother's Day is a big deal. All right. So um, we're in Bible basics, right? Uh, what is today's doctrine? We, I think, have maybe two more weeks in Bible basics. And then uh, we're on to something else. I'm not sure what that something else is. Maybe the Psalms before the summer break. And then be praying because always over the summer, it's like, what are we going to do in the fall? Now, we tend to go from a New Testament book to an Old Testament book or mix them together, go back and forth. So uh, we are committed to preaching through the whole Bible, committed to preaching through the Bible. So we took a, a, a break and actually doing doctrine uh, this spring. All right, so what is our doctrine today? The doctrine today is sanctification. Uh, some call this the Christian life doctrine or life with God doctrine, uh, and even life with God's people doctrine or the church doctrine. In fact, it was very interesting in my seminary class on sanctification, it was actually called sanctification and ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. So the doctrine of the Christian life and the doctrine of the church in most seminaries is together because the two are inseparable. So that's interesting. This is also the spiritual formation doctrine, the spiritual life doctrine. Did you know that the Bible church movement was launched and the largest campus ministry, the founder, the largest campus ministry, both of these things were impacted by one book. It was Lewis Berry Chafer's book called He That Is Spiritual. He was the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. This is also called the life change doctrine, the transformation doctrine, the holiness doctrine. Sanctification is by far, there's not even any comparison. It's even a joke to even say this. Sanctification is by far the most popular, the most taught, the most talked about, the most obsessed about doctrine in all of Christianity. I mean, can you even name what comes in second place? Try to. What's the second most popular, talked about, taught, obsessed doctrine in all of Christianity? Second place. No one knows. Because nothing else was talked about. Sanctification is the number one doctrine. However, most Christians, though, today are reporting that sanctification is a confusing, frustrating, and even discouraging experience. Is that you? So I decided to list what, the top, what are the top 10 ways that we're sanctified today? What are the top 10 most popular ways that we, modern Christians, seek our sanctification? What are the top 10? I mean, there needs to be like a drum roll. There needs to be something. Coming in at number 10 is an easy one to identify. The number 10 way to be sanctified in Christianity today is be a good Christian, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, the only controversy here is like, okay, then what is a good Christian, right? That would be the only controversy. Be a good Christian, but what is a good Christian? And then who gets to tell you who a good Christian is? A church leader, the Bible, your family, your church, your teacher. Coming in at number nine is also pretty self-explanatory. Avoid sin. 
I mean, it's hard to have sanctification. Like, is there sanct- It's hard to be sanctified while you're sinning, right? Coming in at number eight is be holy, another pretty self-explanatory. Not being holy is not pretty sanctifying. And number seven is do theology and do doctrine. So this is building a sanctification around objective truth and telling the truth. This is around the life of the mind. It's building a sanctification around the life of the mind, around being right, Christian education. You might hear those terms. Coming in at number six is interesting. It's do church tradition. Well, what does that mean? It means to build your sanctification around church leadership and church teaching. Now, there's two ways to do this. You can formally do this and informally do this. Formally, you do this in your stated, settled beliefs. In other words, you believe, it's believed that the church leadership and its traditions are alongside the Scripture. Scripture plus church traditions and church leadership are ultimate authority in the church. Historically, Protestants have said, Scripture alone is the authority of the church and of the Christians. Now, we can do this informally by functionally doing this. Well, what do I mean by that? It means that your functional practice, you can either divinize or demonize preferences and cultural forms. I don't know, music comes to mind, right? Sound instruments, high church form, low church forms. Like it's pretty popular today, for example, to take contemplative forms. You know what that means? It means silent forms, serious forms, more thoughtful, reflective church forms, liturgical forms, uh, individually oriented and inward directed forms, and divinize them as being reverent. And of course, this means that joyful, passionate forms are not. Loud, energetic forms are not. Another example would be this. Well, the Bible, the Bible does not agree with that view of reverence. The Bible can say reverence could be silent and quiet and reflective and inward, and it can also be loud and energetic. I don't know, shout to the Lord, the Bible says. Make a joyful noise, the Bible says. David was a pretty passionate person, the Bible says. Another example is this, so I want to make sure we get everybody so I offend everybody and everybody feels included in today's sermon. Another example is joyful, passionate, energetic forms are divinized as being spirit-filled. So what does this mean? This means that an ordered liturgy is not. This means that contemplative singing, like O Depths of Woe, are not. Spirit-filled. This means that observing the sacraments are not. This means preaching is not. This means making friends and having gospel conversations is not. See how this goes? So in other words, you can formally build your sanctification around church leadership and traditions by having settled, stated beliefs that it's Scripture plus those things in your life, in the way you do Christianity, instead of Scripture alone. And functionally, you can do it by divinizing your preferences and your cultural forms and demonizing other preferences and cultural forms. All right, let's move off that one. 
How about spiritual disciplines? And I get this from Richard Foster. Now, there's a whole bunch of them. You can build your sanctification around all kinds. There are inward spiritual disciplines like read, pray, journal, things like that. There's meditation, fasting. There are outward spiritual disciplines like simplicity of life, solitude, time alone, submission, cultivating a quiet, gentle spirit. In other words, learning to give up your rights. There's others like service and stewardship and sexual purity. There are corporate forms like what happens here. You could have worship, confession, guidance, celebration. Fantastic. Now, coming at number four is spiritual mysticism. Here's where you build your sanctification around those inward spiritual disciplines. It's about getting things felt It's about the life of the heart, so theology and doctrines about the life of the mind. This one's about the life of the heart, spiritual experiences. Coming at number three, however, is special anointed individuals. And why would you build your sanctification around special anointed individuals? Well, because they have a deeper connection with God, of course, more than others. And because they have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit more than others and because God uses them more than others. Coming in at number two is pretty popular. Coming in at number two, exhortations, commands, invitations, threats, warnings. Now, here's what's happening here. You're building your sanctification around moving the will. And you're building your sanctification around instruction in discipleship, comprehensive instruction. Everything from you know, quiet times to dating to how to grow kids God's way and how to bake bread God's way. Everything's in this comprehensive discipleship program. Exhortations, coaching, inspiration, threats, warnings, urgings. And lastly in there, there's an aim of spiritual progress with this kind of approach. All right, you've gone through nine. Here's number one. What is the number one way? You ready? Activate the Holy Spirit. The number one way to do sanctification today is that you activate the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that happen? Well, great question how that happens. It really depends. It can depend upon your tradition that you grow up in, It can depend upon your theological stripe, the doctrines and the theology that you confess and believe, whether formally or functionally. But most importantly, it can depend on your Enneagram number, (laughs) your personality type, is how you activate the Holy Spirit, right? For instance, for example, you could surrender to the Holy Spirit, you could let go and let the Holy Spirit, you could trust and obey the Holy Spirit, you could work through 10 steps of deliverance by the Holy Spirit, you can pray to receive special anointing secrets, techniques of the Holy Spirit, you can ask and receive the blessing of second works, third works, fourth works, fifth works of the Holy Spirit, you can do the homework, of the there's all kinds of ways. Most Christians today report that sanctification is a confusing, frustrating discouraging experience. Is that you? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. All right, we're going to read. When I send the text to the staff each week during this Bible basic series, they're like, why don't you just put the whole Bible up there, Jeff? (laughs) 
That's your staff standing by their man, so to speak. All right, here we go. And is there any help for us? So here's the question I'm asking. We're asking today, sanctification seems to be a pretty confusing thing, a pretty frustrating thing, a pretty discouraging thing for most Christians. Most Christians are reporting that. If that's not you, you, can, you don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon. But if it is you, the question is, is there any help for you? Is there any help for us in this thing called sanctification? Any help for us? Well, let's look at Corinthians. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification. Ooh. And redemption. Is there any help for us? Galatians 6.15. There's neither circumcision, religion, that counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, irreligion, but a new creation. Hmm. Is there any help for us? For the law. Now, you're thinking of the law. This is a power. This is a realm. This is a kingdom. For the law, the principle, the realm, the power of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law, the kingdom, the realm, the power of sin and death. Is there any help for us? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And now we're all like, oh, no. For it is God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is there any help for us? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how did you receive him? Is there any help for us? I've been crucified with Christ. Here's a literal translation I'm going to give you, not the one up here. I live, but no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That seems to be present tense. Is there any help for us? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Is there any help for us? But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Spirit gospel. Is there any help for us? And we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So wait a minute. Are you telling me, because we're not even going to look at this text, are you telling me that the way you change is to behold? Paul? Paul, how did you change? What's the secret to your Christian life? Beholding him. Is there any help for us? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Sorry, I got things falling out of this pulpit that keep hitting me in the leg. All right, Lord, we thank you that, that you are the God, the Lord of our sanctification. And I ask this morning that you would give us clarity to the mind and realness to the heart, that Holy Spirit, you would sanctify us by your word, by the truth. By Jesus. So fill us with your spirit, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Most Christians today report that sanctification is a confusing, frustrating, discouraging experience. Is there any help for us? The answer is yes. Now, if you got your Bible, pull them out. There are three texts that are absolutely crucial to this. One had to do with that 
There's not circumcision, remember that text, nor uncircumcision. There's not religion, there's not irreligion, but a new creation. Ooh, what is that? And then in Romans 2, it says the law, the principle, the realm, the kingdom of the spirit has set you free from the law, the realm, the kingdom, the power of sin and death. Very interesting. And then Thessalonians says that you're sanctified by the spirit. Okay, so don't miss this. Do not miss this. Sanctification, according to the Bible, is not a repair job. Sanctification, according to the Bible, is not a repair job. It is the invasion of something new. So on Tuesday morning, I'm stretching, which... For the past two years, I stretch 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes at night because of all these neck issues, which seem to be getting better. So I'm going to keep stretching. I'm watching the news while I'm stretching, and there's this corpse in Shanghai. Did y'all see this? All right, Shanghai's in this grueling six-week-now lockdown. I mean, literally, like, locking people in their homes. Nobody's able to come out. And so this... This someone on video in Shanghai caught this corpse being transported to the mortuary, the city mortuary. I'm watching the video. Uh, The corpse is being pulled out of the van, pulled out of the van, and this group of mortuary workers go up and they unzip the body bag, and then it's all panic. Now, I I don't understand Chinese or Shanghai or whatever's going on there, but it's complete panic. And there's pointing, lots of pointing, lots of panic, lots of people running around. And then scrolling across an English translation is this, alive, do you see that? Alive, do not cover him again. Holy moly. Sanctification is the invasion of new life into a corpse a spiritual corpse. This is so radical. It's so radical. Sanctification is not magic. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not willpower. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not exhortations, commands, and urgings. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not secrets and techniques. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not objective truth. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not personal experiences. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not special anointed people. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not church leadership and church teachings. It's an invasion. Sanctification is not a repair job. It's the invasion of something new. So stop putting your energy into a repair job. Stop putting all your mental energy into a repair job. Stop putting all your moral energy into a repair job. Stop putting all your emotional energy, relational energy, spiritual energy, cultural energy, church energy, Vocational energy, 
Stop putting all your energy into a repair job. The spiritual corpse cannot be repaired. There's a guy named John Owen. I talked about him on one last week, week before. He has written, number one, he wrote that monster on the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about that. Well, he has two volumes on this topic alone. Two volumes that are like this big. Volume six and volume seven. And he is saying, as we've been saying, as classical Christianity says, the spiritual corpse cannot be repaired. The spiritual corpse is what we've called in the past the zombie. He is, she is, physically alive, spiritually dead. You could call it the sin nature. You can call it the flesh in the Bible. These are all doctrines. You can call it the edemic self, some have said. You can call it the collapsed self. Paul calls it the old self. In some places, it's called the false self. But notice that it's a self. Because it's a nature so close to you, it's you. It's your thinking, it's your feeling, it's your relating, it's your experiential dynamics. It's the outworkings of how we handle money and sex and success and failure. It is this spiritual nature, this sinful nature that Paul says, nothing good lives within me. That is in that sinful nature. He's describing it. That thing cannot be repaired. It cannot be fixed. It cannot be rehabilitated. This is so, so important. It's so vital that we get this. The sinful nature, the spiritual corpse, can only be killed, condemned, judged by the cross. The spiritual corpse cannot be repaired, which is why Paul says, it will never inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't go there. You've got to be rescued from it and made new. So, 99% of theologies, views, strategies, forms, practices of sanctification today are repair jobs. Now, the Bible tells us that God raised Jesus from the dead by, quote, an incomparable great power. Think about this. God raised Jesus from the dead by an incomparable great power. There is no comparable power. There's no power that's ever been seen. There's no power that's even like it. There's no power ever witnessed in human history. But it's a power that comes from another realm, and it's the power of ages and eons to come that break into human history. And so when Jesus is risen from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus is the invasion of an incomparable power. The resurrection of Jesus is the invasion of something new. The resurrection of Jesus is the invasion of the Holy Spirit into a corpse. That's sanctification. Alive. Did you see that? Alive. Don't cover her again. If you are a Christian, you have been invaded by the Holy Spirit. 
You have been raised from the dead. That is amazing. Put your energy into that. Put all your energy into understanding that. Put all your energy into the implications of that. How? Well, one way we can do is just very simple, very practically. Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he says, listen, when I'm going to teach you to pray, the disciples ask to pray, he says, okay, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you pray. One of the things that is most important to this whole prayer is thy kingdom come. So one of the most practical ways to put all your energy into the invasion of something new is to get used to that and get used to thy kingdom come. It's an invasion. So when you're struggling to believe, oh Lord, your kingdom come. When you're suffering, oh Lord, your kingdom come. When you're sinking into yourself, Jesus, your kingdom invade. When you're sinful and when you're weak, when you're unloving and peaceless and when you're mean, thy kingdom come. When you're worried about someone and you want God to work in their life, your husband, your child, your friend, your neighbor, your boss, person you sit next to at church, oh Lord, your kingdom come. Most Christians today report sanctification is a confusing, frustrating, discouraging experience. Is there any help? Yeah, there's lots of help. First, sanctification is not a repair job. Most of your energy and most of the schemes and strategies of sanctification today are trying to do a repair job. It's the invasion of something new. Second, Galatians says, but I say walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. Paul says the same thing in Romans 7. So don't miss this. Here's the second help. Don't miss this. Sanctification, according to the Bible, is not the absence of spiritual struggle, but the presence of it. Do you see how absolutely radical that is? Do you see how absolutely unpopular that is? There's an Italian artist, his name is Salvatore Garuri. Sorry, you artists that really know his name, who recently exhibited his artwork in 2021. It was titled Lo Sogno, in English, I Am. It's a sculpture, and it's sold for $18,300. But here's the crazy part. It doesn't exist. It's an invisible statue. Garuri's instructions to the buyer were, place the invisible statue in an empty five-by-foot space. And then once I received the payment, of $18,300, I'll send you a certificate of authenticity. 
Sanctification is not the absence of spiritual struggle, but the presence of it. This is so unpopular because 99% of sanctification strategies today are trying to sell the invisible spiritual struggle, the spirit-filled life, the victorious Christian life, the let-go-let-God life, the higher life, the spiritual man life as opposed to someone else, the spiritual woman life as opposed to something else, the super saint life, the finally delivered woman life, 10 steps to deliverance, the uh, fully devoted disciple life, the on fire life, the don't waste your life desiring God life, sorry. The invisible spiritual struggle does not exist. It's not there. What's there in sanctification? Spiritual struggle. That's sanctification. Listen again to what Paul is saying. For the desires of the flesh are against, literally war, against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. The two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul is saying the most miraculous thing that can be said about a human being in this text. He's saying something that's absolutely stunning. He's saying something that's never been seen before. He's saying something that is incredibly impossible. He is saying that a Christian is flesh and spirit. A Christian, as Paul says, is an old self and a new self. A Christian, it's breathtaking because it hasn't been seen before in human history. It doesn't happen in the world's realm. A Christian is now something radically new. The Christian is now one person with two natures. That's never been seen before. And because you're one person with two natures, Christian, you are in a war. A spiritual struggle. The mark of being a Christian. All the greats of old have said this. Go read Owen's two volumes or just listen to two sentences. The mark of a Christian is struggle. The flesh against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. If you are not a Christian this morning, there is no struggle. If you are not a Christian, the Bible says you have one nature, the sin nature, the spiritually dead nature. Do you see how incredible it is to be a Christian? It's so breathtaking, it's so spectacular that there has been an invasion of something new and a Christian is something new, a new creation. It is something new to have one person with two natures. The spirit in Christ, your new self. Paul, I live 
but no longer I, but Christ in me. So there's a spiritual struggle going on. That's the mark of a Christian. So what do you do? How do you survive the spiritual struggle? I mean, what do you do? How do you live with the spiritual struggle? And here's the answer, because everybody else and most strategies are saying, avoid the spiritual struggle. Let's pretend the spiritual struggle doesn't exist. Let's be the artist and put it in your house and say, it doesn't exist. The invisible spiritual struggle doesn't exist. And when that happens, what happens to you is you get incredibly confused. Your kids get incredibly confused. I mean, isn't that right, Julie and Ray? Didn't Jake say when he came to church, he couldn't believe, because he was a Christian, that he has this struggle, so he struggled. And then he realized that's the Christian life. It's the mark of a Christian. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. That's why it's so complicated if you... If you create strategies to get rid of the spiritual struggle, you're going to be absolutely confused, absolutely frustrated, absolutely discouraged. Because you're trying to pretend something's not there when it is there. So the answer is this. How do you survive with the struggle? The answer, according to the Bible, is lean into the struggle. Don't lean away from the struggle. Lean into it. Lean into it. Lean into the struggle. Walk right into the fire of it. Face it. So how do you do that? Here's how. 1 Corinthians says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You lean into the struggle with Jesus as your sanctification. Do you see that? Jesus, you're my sanctification. You've accomplished my sanctification. You've accomplished my holiness. You've accomplished the practical life change that goes on in my life. You're my sanctification. So that means leaning into that, everything's okay. You're okay. Sanctification isn't about you and about what you do. It's actually about Jesus and what he's done. Lean into Jesus as your sanctification. Second thing you can do, Philippians, therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation. Remember that one? That's when everybody starts freaking out. Yep, I got to work it out. No, you need some clarity. I need some clarity. Lean into the struggle. Lean into clarity about the progress. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Notice what the text is saying. Work out your salvation. It's not saying work out your obedience. It's not saying work out how hard you hold on to him. It's saying work out your salvation. In other words, work out what he's done in your life. In other words, Spiritual progress in the Christian life is not moving toward the goal. It's the goal getting more and more real to you. It's the goal coming towards you. It's not you moving towards the goal. It's the goal coming towards you. So it's being, it's having Jesus and the salvation worked into your life. Work out your salvation. Work out all the implications of the Bible. Work out the implications of this incredible grace. Work out the implications of who Jesus is and what he's done. Work it out in the way you handle your money. Work it out in the way you handle sex. Work it out in your relationships, your conflict, your suffering. Work it out. In other words, may what is true about Jesus and the salvation come closer and closer and closer to you. 
It's a gospel life. It's growing in the gospel. Everything is okay. You're okay. Sanctification's not about you and what you've done. Lean into Jesus and what he's done. And then lastly, Galatians 2, I mean, Paul's absolutely clear. He says, listen, here's the life. Here's what Jesus has done. Now here's the life. Here's how you live the life. He says it. The life I now live, present tense. I live in the flesh, present tense. Now he's going to tell you, here's the secret. Here's what sanctification is practically. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God. Well, who is this Son of God? The one who loved me and gave himself for me. So, lean into this. Jesus says, I love you. But notice it's not, I love you, good luck. I love you. This is how most of us think. This is how most of us live. This is how most of us do sanctification. Yeah, he loves me, but good luck, Jeff. Hope you don't mess up your life. Good luck, Jeff. I love you. I hope you find those secrets and those keys and those biblical principles out there for you that I have stashed out there that you need to discover. I love you. I hope you learn to activate me in your life or activate the Holy Spirit in your life. I hope that happens for you. I love you. Good luck. Now, did you see the kind of love it is? Who gave himself for you. It's a substitutionary love. So it goes like this. I love you, Jeff. That's why I'm going with you. I love you, Claire. So I'm going with you. So I'm going with you into the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to go with you into the realm of the dead and I'm going to take you out. I'm going to go with you outside the tomb, and I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to invade you, and you're going to be something new. And then I'm going to go with you all the days of your life into your marriage, into your singleness, into school, sitting by the person that annoys you. I'm going to go with you when you're suffering. I'm going to go with you when you're struggling. I'm going to go with you when you're mean. I'm going to go with you when you're peaceless. I'm going to go with you. Build your sanctification around that. Lean into Jesus because everything really is okay. Those of you right now that are absolutely confused, frustrated, discouraged, please hear me. You're absolutely okay. Not because you're okay, because you're not. But because he is. And it's so weird, but when you get that he is, you are. Amen.